were together in staff, we were, we were just praying before the first service this morning on a, some ungodly hour. <laughs> How many of you are early risers? I, I, don't, I don't get you at all. <laughs> I'll start to come alive about 9 p.m. <laughs> p.m., yeah. As you get older, you know, it's, a, like, it's about the time you, you warm up, you just about burn out. But anyway, very short. Um, but this morning we were praying and staffing, and I really felt that the Lord wanted to heal um, people who, um, who had sexual addictions, sexually broken, sexually transmitted disease. And we've been talking about shame for about, I think, maybe a month or more. Uh, several different, um, different speakers, and I think I did about four weeks on, on around, you know, subjects around shame. And I think one of the challenges is that, is that when, when there's um, a, you know, a disease or addiction or anything that's, that society kind of shames, those people go unhealed. And, um, and I was thinking about, like, how do we pray for some of these folks? I, I was uh, in a YWAM base. This is many years ago. It must have been about 13 years ago. And I was doing their Supernatural Week, which I used to do four times a year in Chico. And I was talking about the fact that Jesus wanted to heal all sickness and all disease. And um, about the second day, I was really emphasizing, I was kind of preaching that Jesus wanted to heal all sickness and all disease and And this girl just couldn't take it any longer. And she jumped up and she said, he doesn't want to heal me. I'm like, that's kind of very unusual for a YWAMer. I said, well, why would he not? And it was about 40 students. And they had been together for like three months. So they were very comfortable with each other. And I said, why wouldn't he want to heal you? And she said, because I have venereal disease and I deserve it. And I said, why do you deserve it? And she said, well, because I, you know, lived, she started describing her life before B.C., before Christ. And I said, I thought Jesus died for sins. I didn't think he died for mistakes. You know, Jesus, how many know that a sin means you did it on purpose? You can't sin by accident because a sin is always a heart condition. So I said, Jesus died for your sins and he didn't just die, he didn't just forgive you, he cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And she's like, well... And she just, we had this dialogue for about five minutes, and she was in tears. And, and I, I said to her, she said, well, he would never heal me. I said, well, he would heal you because you don't think he can. <laughs> I think God has a little stubborn streak in him. He's like, if they say I can't beat him in the mountains, I'm going to whip him in the mountains. If they say I can't beat him in the valley, bring him in the valley. And so anyway, we prayed for her. She got healed. And, um, and I just was reminded of that this morning that... That there are people, you know, I don't know what it is about us, but I think we're all like this in some ways. It's kind of like, you know, if you smoked and you got lung cancer, you're like, I don't think Jesus wants to heal me. And it's like, no, Jesus wants to heal everybody in spite of your behavior. Um, And so I want to pray for everybody that has a, a sexual addiction, is sexually broken, like it's affecting your marriage bed, or you have some sexually transmitted disease. But I'll also say this, if you're dealing with this, if you're struggling with depression, insomnia, panic attacks, or anything like that, I want every one of you, everybody that's in any of those categories to stand. And that way, the people that are standing for the sexually broken part, they are not, they're not exposed. And the people that are, have those other issues, they're going to get healed too. So stand right now if you have any of those issues.
I'm not trying to shame you. Just stand right now. If you have any issues, any of the sexually stu- sexual stuff, or you have any other second stuff, if you have panic attacks, insomnia, anything to do with night terrors, panic, uh, uh, depression, um, I, I want to say also uh, chronic fatigue, um, anything like that, would you stand right now? I want to pray for everyone who has those conditions. And I, I think the Lord wants to heal everybody, but specifically I feel like we're supposed to pray for these people tonight. Okay. So just extend your hands to them. Jesus, we just thank you that when we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you said that when we humble ourselves, that you exalt us. And so, Lord, I just release healing over every single person in this room, no matter what their condition. Lord, if it's, uh, if it's a sexually transmitted disease, I, I pray that you would heal them right now. In Jesus' name. That it wouldn't go in remission, it'd be gone. It'd be gone. AIDS, if there's someone here that has AIDS, I just proclaim right now that Jesus is healing AIDS tonight. That he's actually healing AIDS. And, and if you have an addiction, any kind of sexual addiction, you're like, I'm addicted to porn, I'm addicted to whatever, that, especially around the area of uh, sexual addiction, the Lord's breaking that right now. And I, I, I had this man's voice in my head going over and over saying, I, I, it has to do with, um, you've asked for forgiveness for this addiction in the area of uh, pornography and masturbation many times, and, um, and you had the courage to stand tonight reluctantly because you think that you broke your word to the Lord. You told him, if you forgive me this one more time, and it had something to do with arrest too, and the Lord's just, he's healing you right now. He's delivering you from all um, encumbrances, anything that has encumbered you, anything that's taken your soul captive. And so we break every addiction. This guy and every other addiction, uh, these folks that are standing, people watching by Bethel TV, and if you're watching by Bethel TV, just take this right now too. Just stand right now, wherever you're at, and just receive this. It's a day of freedom. It's like the favorable year of the Lord. It's like, you know, in the seventh year, how they said all the captives free and forgave all the debts. And we just, we just uh, release right now in Jesus' name. We just release you from all um, debt. Um, the Lord releases you from the debt of heaven. And we bless you. We bless every person who's standing. You're, some people are like, you couldn't bless me. If you knew my life, you wouldn't bless me. Yeah, Jesus knows your life, and he told me to bless you. And Lord, we just bless, we bless, we bless, we bless all these people. We bless these people too. We bless these people, and those in back, and those who, who, who snuck in and thought they'd sneak out. Lord, we just bless them too. We bless every person here. And Lord, we pray that the blessing would actually be tangible. Like, like tomorrow morning, things would start happening and they'd wake tomorrow morning and think, something amazing is about to happen to me. I mean, a child coming home, a, a, a vindication, a money returned. Lord, we just pray right now that you would just bless in a way that's tangible. That they can actually know it. And I release that to every single person who's standing. In the name of Jesus. And why don't you all that are standing just say, I receive that from myself. That's good, thank you. You go ahead and sit down. Isn't that just beautiful right there? We're going to hear great testimonies in the next month about that. I, I wore this shirt today. It's, it's black. They lost today. It was a very sad day. 
And I wanted to, I wanted to uh, fly our Bethel flag at half mass. But the, uh, yeah, the maintenance team wasn't going for it. No. Let's pray for the word tonight. Would you just grab a hand right there? Lord, we just pray for your word just to be um, sharp in a good way. Uh, we just pray for that, that it would, be, it would be sharp and that it would be right on for where we're at in life. Amen. Um, I don't often speak publicly to um, situations, although people write me all the time. And like, what, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And I'm sure that happens to probably every public person. And, and I, I particularly get emails and especially Facebook posts and private messages about prophetic things that happen. So, you know, if somebody's prophesying something, I usually will get 20 times, I'll get it like 20 times. Like, have you read this? Like, yeah, 19 times. I know what that, or, or you know, can you make comments on it? And I, I to be honest, in probably... The last five years, I maybe comment on one in a hundred. And typically it's privately. Uh, and I, I try not to make... I, I learned from Bill... Um, I, I've tried, I think I have at least. Let me put it this way. Bill has worked hard. <laughs> I don't want to dishonor him because he, he, you know, he's so... He's the, last, he's the least reactionary person I think I've ever met in my life. And... Um, and I and you know when I'm like let's kill him for that he's like, um, no. <laughs> and so you know I, I've tried to be really careful about reacting and also about using the podium to perpetuate my opinions. I, I don't I don't think that's a good plan. And when I when I do share my opinion, if those of you who follow for a long time, you know I'll say this is my opinion. And so I, I try to do that. But there's. And that all that being said, um, I did speak out during Y2K, the month before Y2K in 1999, in December of 1999, and um, and I did speak out the month, uh, the week of the Twin Towers, when the Twin Towers fell, because of what I saw the prophets doing. I couldn't imagine having a family member in that tower and hearing those prophetic declarations. And I felt that there needed to be another one. So I did speak out then. And, um, and, I, and I have a couple other times. Uh, and privately, in, in private, my, my whole team knows what I think. So I, I'm, I don't want to be, like I never tell anybody. I just want to be careful how I use the podium. And so, but I, I've had so many people ask me about the whole blood moon thing. That um, I feel a little, uh, I feel compelled, and it's been going on for two two months. I, I don't know how many emails I've got. People catch me in the parking lot and stop me in the store, and I'm like, seriously, I'm like, okay. To be honest, till about a month ago, I mean, I probably I don't know how many people sent me their prophecies about the blood moon thing, and I never opened one of them because it felt the same way as so many others. So, first of all, I want to just lay a little bit of foundation that I, you know, the kingdom of God has become so global in community. How many know the kingdom of God's always been global? But I mean from the perspective of community in that you can prophesy in South Africa and in America, you know, within 30 seconds, I know your prophecy. And the same with us. So what happens here doesn't stay here. 
um, sometimes, and in fact, it's one of the where one of the places I think I've grown a lot is that. You know, when you're in Weaverville, you, know, you, you share something, especially coming out of the business world, like no one's really listening. In fact, you're trying to get someone to listen. And what I didn't realize for many years, and, and now I think I'm getting better at it, is that, you know, when you whisper at Bethel, it gets shouted everywhere. And sometimes, and, and I externally process, so everybody who's ever followed me knows, which is not my strongest suit. Because externally processing from the podium is, can be fun <laughs> or, or not. Sometimes I watch Bill in the front row like, I'm like, wow, I don't know what he's thinking. But, the, but here's the challenge is that, you know, when we, when we share or minister or prophesy or teach in a small group, let's say in a home group, and we prophesy over somebody. Like many years ago, I, I prophesied over this guy, his name was Gary, and um, it's kind of a long story, but let me just say this. I gave him a very directional word that was totally wrong. And uh, this was uh, 20, probably 29, 28, nine, 28 or 9 years ago. And we used to put people in the center. I don't know. We used to call it the hot seat. Anybody else? It's kind of, I think, a charismatic Pentecostal thing. We put someone in the center, and we'd all prophesy over them. And so we were doing that, and I had Gary in the middle, and I, and I was prophesying about him. The, the trouble with the prophecy was that I, I had a conversation with Charlie Harper. It was our home group. We did home group together for 17 years. And I had a conversation about Gary, like um, the week before, about something he was doing and something he should be doing different. So I just shared it as a prophecy. Well, Charlie went and told Bill. <laughs> and I had to go meet with the elders. That was the first time that ever happened to me. And they were very gracious. You know, you can imagine, you know, being spanked by bills. Like, you don't even know you're hurt till you pull down your pants a month later and find bruises, you know? How did that happen? But what I'm, what I'm getting at is this, is that I was raised with the idea that you were accountable for what you said. And then when we started... When we, we started moving in prophecy, that sense that we were accountable for what you said God said was even greater. So I've never known, I've never known, and I'm just going to say prophecy right now, but I would include my life, but I've never known prophecy in the vacuum of confrontation. I've never known that. I've only known you speak and other people judge, not you, the words. And, and 1 Corinthians 14.29 says, let two or three prophets speak. And by the way, isn't it interesting that Corinthians is actually about prophecy. But when he talks to us about judgment, he said, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. I really like that he switches just for one verse to prophets because I think he's saying, this is how I take it, even if you're a prophet, your prophecies need to be judged. I like that. I like, I like that he didn't just say, okay, and, you know, let two or three people prophesy and let them pass judgment. I like that he ups the ante and says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. Because otherwise, prophets could say, well, yeah, you know, the prophecy people, need to, their words need to be judged, but I'm on another level. I like that, that Paul tells the Corinthians 
that we're to judge prophetic words. And then First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says, Do not despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully and hold fast to what is good. I think the previous verse says, Don't quench the spirit. That's 19. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully with the context being prophecy and hold fast to what is good. The challenge is now, so, so in, our, in our church and in the environment that I lead, we have, a very, we have a prophetic community. We don't just have prophetic ministry. Maybe this is good for visitors to know, those listening um, by Bethel TV. Like, we don't just have prophetic ministry. We have a prophetic community. And all of our people have been trained by, by one of our team, one of our leaders. And one of the things we say is, if you, you, if you have the authority to prophesy in this house, you have the responsibility of accountability. And if you can't do that, then you can't move here prophetically. And so everybody knows that there are coaches and refs in our house. You know what I'm saying? There are coaches and refs. What I mean is, is that it's not a pickup game down at the park. It's not like playing basketball down at the park where, hey, you fouled me. No, I didn't. It's like, no, there are actually coaches and refs because the goal is to equip the saints to do the work of service. The challenge, so that's not a challenge for us. And, we, you know, and you, you're not, if, you, if you get it wrong, you know, you're not condemned or anything. You're just like, okay, clean up your mess. Let's get going. Let's, let's try it again. Let's get it better. And you, don't, you probably won't be confronted by me or even or Bill or Eric or Candace. Most of the time, you're confronted by the other people on the team. Because how many know it's the body? It's body ministry. It's body-on-body body ministry. The challenge is that we... we we, have born, we have, were born into a time when we become a global prophetic community with no accountability. So people share stuff and get it wrong, and all they do is take it off their website and get rid of it off of YouTube and never say boo. And to me, first of all, I don't think that's integrous. And secondly, it confuses young believers who are like, wait a second, didn't you prophesy? Oh, well, no, no, the Lord, people prayed it off. So during Y2K, we had several prophets here that we relate to, that we all love, by the way, and respect, and have back many times after this. But during Y2K, I I was asking the other prophets, what what do you think about Y2K? And to, to a person, they all said, Y2K will be worse than you think. There's going, to be, there's going to be starvation. There's going to be fighting in the streets. The, the, you know, the, com- the computer crash is going to... Co- Do you guys even know what I'm talking about? Okay, you're looking at me like I'm on the moon or something. <laughs> it's the whole digit thing. Remember this? That the computer systems were not be, be able to take on the 2,000 digit. And so you know, there was just going to be... like The military was going to be shut down. All this stuff. Remember all this? And behind the scenes, no, I mean, it's funny now. It's always funny later. And so we were praying into it because we, had, we were part of this network. We still are a part of this network. And, and we, we lead this network. In those days, we influenced it. And they were like, hey, we're, we, the Lord told us we're supposed to store food and we're supposed to get generators and we're going to have food for all the starving people and we're going to lead them to Christ and we need to get guns to protect the food that we're... Sta-. It got really weird. Did it get weird? It got really... I'm like, what are we using the guns for? Protect the food for the people that are... I don't know. This is getting too weird. 
Anyway, the short story, and, and it was all over the internet. Like, every, almost every major prophet had, you know, internet, like, you know, 20 years ago wasn't that big, right? 15 years ago. So, you know, people had websites with the, their prophetic words all typed out. And they're all, I mean, I don't know to, I think to a person, the people we related to were almost all doom and gloom. I don't think Larry Randolph was. I think Larry was the one. I should exempt him because I, I, he wasn't. He was with us. And the Lord gave us a word that, that the spirit of fear and the spirit of mammon had built a coalition and were scaring people into debt. And we shared that word the month before. We shared it in December. Uh, right around the first week of December. And, our, and we told our people, don't store food. Don't buy generators. Don't get ammunition. <laughs> Nothing's going to happen. And it was a very, there was a lot of tons of pressure. Especially the night before. Some of us didn't sleep. I'm sure you've been there like, you hope you're right. Like, wow. We just told all of our people, which we were much smaller than, all of our people, like, don't prepare. And some people are like, well, I think I should prepare anyway. I'm like, okay, well, do what you're supposed, you think you're supposed to do. Well, as you know, obviously nothing happened. And the, the, the sad thing is, is that people took their websites down and took their words down, but I didn't hear one person apologize. And the guys I was related to who were doing that stuff, I said, hey, next time I saw them, Hey, what do you think about Y2K? He said, oh, well, the people of God prayed it off. Well, that's fine, but you didn't say, but the people of God might pray it off when you prophesied it. And so I have quite a bit of experience in this, in, in this whole thing. Like, uh, people get pretty mad at me. And by the way, you know, um, one of the things people write to me once in a while is like, you're an ear tickler. It's so funny because I've, I've been reading Samuel this week. And ear tickling was considered what you shared when it was negative. Like when Samuel shared to Eli that he and his sons were going to die, God said he tickled Eli's ears. So I'm not that. <laughs> My, um, there was another prophetic word. I'm just trying to tell you like why, where I'm coming from. Is that, I don't, am I all over the place tonight? It, it makes total sense in here, but I don't know if it's making sense out there. In the 80s, I'm, I met some prophets in the 80s for the first time, and uh, they were introduced to me by some friends, and, uh, and they had this major prophetic word that there was going to be an earthquake, and it was going to be on the, on the West Coast, and Sacramento would be oceanfront property. Well, my parents lived in the Bay Area, so I pleaded with my parents, and they left and moved to Lake Tahoe, where they live to this day. <laughs> Thankfully, they sold high and bought high. <laughs> so, I want you to know some of my background. When the Twin Towers were hit, the very next morning, three major national prophets said that the, that the Twin Towers were an act of God, that he, that he is angry with our country because of abortion, and that there would be more deaths. That this would be the beginning of bloodshed. And it would be sh- in I- the Iraqi war, the blood would be to the horse's bridle. And there would be no end. 
And and um and I I don't know what you think, but twenty nine hundred people died in that tower. Can you imagine waking up the next morning to a prophet saying God judged killed your family because he's mad about he, this is this is the even crazier part. God's so mad that you are taking the lives of babies. He's going to show you by taking the lives of more people. I'm like I'm I'm not sure that I'm not sure prophetic people are the most intelligent people in the world. I'm like I, I'm you know I'm not sure that you're you're making your point. Like I'm so mad that you that you're that you're killing babies, but I'm going to kill a bunch of people to tell you how mad I am. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. And so I have, um, I've stood by a number of times and watched and tried to speak into it as much as much influence as I've had. To um, sometimes to not much avail. And so I, I do have lots of concerns about uh, the blood moon thing's just another thing. You know, I don't know how much you know about it, but in 2008, a man named Mark Blitz predicted that there'd be a four lunar eclipses from 2014 to 2015. It signaled the end times. And he stated that there'd be seven years of tribulation. He changed his prediction after that didn't happen. And now we have another book by a very... Uh, renowned author about blood moons and you know basically this is what um there's he's calling a blood moon i should i think i wrote it down here um did i Uh, a blood moon is when the earth comes between the sun and the moon and the sun is shining through the atmosphere of earth and cast up a moon on a red shadow so that the moon appears to be red now how many of you understand that's his definition of a blood moon? That's not the Bible's. Like, there's no place to look up in the Bible and God says, Now, a blood moon is <laughs> when the lunar eclipse... He doesn't say that. That's their idea of a blood moon. So, um, I want to read you a little bit. Turn to Genesis chapter 1. I think there'll be some interesting stuff in here. I hope you're alive. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the night, the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. And let them be lights in the... I'm sorry. And let them be signs today. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also, and God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. Um, let me just go back to the verse I was actually looking for. It said, says this. Um, God said, uh, God, God put lights uh, in the expanse of the heavens to separate the light from the darkness. And he, let, he said, let them be for signs. Verse 14, let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. So let me just say this. It's true that the Lord put the stars and the moon and the sun in the sky first for signs, then for seasons, for days and years. Are you with me? So I, I want to say that I want to be clear that I believe in signs in the heavens, because the first reason God put the stars in the heavens was for signs. 
So now let's go to um, Matthew chapter 2. Here's a verse, a really great example of a sign. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, these guys, um, there, there's a lot of controversy over the, who the Magi are, but, they, but many people believe that when Daniel, remember Daniel was like the chief music, magician in, in the court of uh, Babylon, in Nebuchadnezzar's court? In other words, um, in modern language, he would kind of be listed as a psychic. Now, we know that he's getting his info from God, but he was numbered among the psychics. Well, many people believe that in the 70 years that he was in Babylon, that he actually started this group who would be believers. Obviously, it wouldn't be Christians on that side of the cross. But they were believers that Daniel trained, who later on, and, and taught them about the Savior. And they were people who were prophets and prophetesses, who actually were still listed among the Magi, which were kind of like, they would be our uh, New Age people. They wouldn't be witches and warlocks. They'd kind of be listed as New Age people. But that these kind of, these, this New Age group was actually mentored, was actually a group that came out of the mentorship of Daniel. And so they were looking into the heavens, looking because they were stargazers. It's, what, it's part of what they did. And they were looking for a sign that the, of the birth of Christ. And, the, and God gave them a sign in the heaven. And actually, as you know, we all, we all tell the story, right, at Christmas time. I don't think we actually think through what we're talk, telling. Like, actually, a star, God put a star right over Christ so that the Magi or anyone else who wanted to find Christ, actually, a star in the heaven, if you will, ascended right over Christ. Now, that's a pretty good sign. It's not like a maybe Okay, you can tell I'm going someplace. Turn to Joel chapter 2. We're going to do quite a few scriptures. Are you guys all right? Okay, verse 28. And it will come about after this that I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, is this familiar to anyone? Okay, do you know this is prophesied 500 years before the book of Acts, right? This is Joel, right? Okay, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. And your young men will see visions. Even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. Blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall be that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For on Mount Zion, where? On Mount Zion in Jerusalem... There will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Okay, I I, I bring this verse to you because obviously he has signs in the heavens, right? And he also said that they're going to come to Mount Zion and they're going to escape, right? It validates the previous verse that says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Got that? Like before Joel said that, that that hadn't been said. So that was original. It was intellectual properties of Joel. Are you with me? But But the next verse is a verse that was very common in the Old Testament. That they will come to Zion and they will be saved. Are you with me? Okay. 
Now, verse 12, chapter 12 of Hebrews, jumping around a lot. Verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, into darkness and gloom, and a whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, the sounds of the words which sound, which sound was such that men begged that no further word would be spoken to them. For they could not bear the commandment, even if a beast touches this mountain, it will be stoned. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm full of fear and I'm trembling. But you have come where? To Mount Zion. Where have you come? To Mount Zion. To the city of the living God. To the heavenly Jerusalem. To the myriads of angels. To general assembly. To the church of the firstborn who are rolled in heaven. To God, the judge of all. To the spirits of righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the meteor of a new covenant. To the sprinkled blood. To that which speaks better than the blood of Abel. How did you get saved? You came to Mount Zion. You didn't come to Mount Horeb. You came to Mount Zion. Joel said, and they will come to Mount Zion and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And lots of people will think, we're going to Mount Zion, but I propose you came to Mount Zion. You came to the living God. You are at Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Okay, here we go. Now, let's go back to Joel's prophecy. This is Peter's, picks up the prophecy. Now, let's go back to what was being shared tonight. I, I, um, Jared, you opened with Acts 2, somewhere around 10, right? That these guys were all together um, in, in one place, and there came like a rushing mighty wind, right? And they all began to what? No, they didn't prophesy. They began to get drunk and speak in tongues. Not one prophecy. Did you notice that? Peter sees that, and he goes, Oh, there's a prophecy about this. And listen to the prophecy. These men are not drunk, and oh, the people are going, These people are drunk. They're all acting crazy drunk. And Peter goes, No, these men aren't drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine in the morning. But this is what was spoken up through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Show what? Prophesy. But they weren't prophesying. They were speaking in tongues. And your young men shall see visions. Were they seeing visions? They were speaking in tongues. They were drunk in the spirit. They shall see visions. <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about? Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Were they dreaming? No, they were speaking in tongues. Even upon your bondservants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into Blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, I'm saying a couple things. The first thing I'm saying is, is that when Peter sees this, Holy Spirit fall, and two things marked it. They were speaking in tongues, and they acted drunk. He goes, there's a perfect verse for that. It's in Joel. And he says, this that Joel prophesied is this thing that's happening right here. They will prophesy, they will see visions, they will dream dreams, and the sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon into blood, 
Before when? Before the great and glorious day shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, first of all, do you, did you get that from Peter's perspective, the sun turned dark and the moon turned to blood? Because how many know that you're living in, in everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? How many believe you're living in everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? Okay, did you notice that the sun turned dark and the moon turned to blood predicated, preceded, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How many believe that we're in the last days so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? Okay, what I'm getting at is that if you believe that you're in the season where everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, these signs happen before that. <laughs> Here we go. You're like, what, what? I'm saying that verse had to be fulfilled because it preceded and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you with me? Okay, so when in the morning... So <laughs> Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. I'll just read it. From the sixth hour of darkness fell upon the land. Jesus is on the cross. From the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you, why have you forsaken me? How many understand when Jesus hung on the cross, the sun turned dark? So literally, Joel said, and the sun will turn dark. Before when? Before the great and glorious, not great and terrible, that's Malachi. Great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Because you don't live in great and terrible, you live in great and glorious. Malachi prophesied another day coming, great and terrible, but Joel and Peter both said that great and glorious would start with the sun turned dark, the moon turned to blood. Are you with me? Okay, so we know that the sun turned dark and the moon turned to blood. We know it had to because what preceded, what, what, what followed those two, those two things have happened. So now we have to look back and go, when did the sun turn bar- dark and the moon turn to blood? Because Joel prophesied that that would be the beginning of the last days. I'd like to suggest that when Jesus hung on the cross... The sun literally turned dark. Now, that's easy. And when Jesus hung on the cross, and he bled, that the moon turned to blood. You're like, what? what? Okay. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, has a dream. The first dream he has is about, remember this? 11 stars bowing down to him. And his brothers immediately go, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You mean we're going to bow down to you? Remember, he didn't say that. He said, I saw 11 stars bowing down to me. The next morning, he has another dream. What's the dream? I had another dream. Here's my dream. Hey, I had another dream. And still, and, and, and he related to his brothers and said, Lo, I have still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And he related it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him, saying, What is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come and bow ourselves before you to the ground? Now, wait a second. Joseph said the dream was, I saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars. Dad said, That's mom and I and your brothers. Okay. How many know that Jesus, the works that Jesus did were not his works, they were the work of the Father working through him? 
He said, these works I do, they are not my works. They're the works of the Father. And by the way, if you don't believe me because of the words that the Father gave me, then believe me because of the works. Because these works that I do, they are not my works. They're the works of the Father. Remember that? And Colossians says that he was the radiance of the Father, or some versions say the reflection of the Father. How many know the moon has no light of its own? (laughs) It's the reflection of the Father. It's the reflection of the sun. So when the sun turns dark, the moon turned the blood. When the Father turned dark, not dark, evil, the moon turned to blood and it began the great and glorious day of the Lord. And from that day on, whoever called on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Joel added this verse, and they shall come to Mount Zion and they shall be saved. I'm saying, when you look at the moon, you're like, the moon, it's going to be a solar eclipse. I'm like, maybe, or not. Maybe God speaks in hieroglyphics. And maybe we need to think like God. Because when Joseph talked to his brothers about the stars bowing, and the moon and the sun bowing down, he had had nothing to do with the solar system. See, isn't it interesting that when Joseph got to Pharaoh, how did Joseph get to Pharaoh? Do you remember? He interpreted Pharaoh's dream. You know how he learned to interpret dreams? He was raised in a family of dream interpreters. It was their heritage See, prophetic, a prophetic mantle was on Joseph's family. And when Joseph got in the palace and the Pharaoh was having dreams, he knew how to interpret dreams because his whole family understood dreams. Here's the problem. When teachers try to interpret prophets, it gets really strange they end up with charts about the book of Revelation. Because they don't understand. I'm not saying they don't know God. I'm saying they don't understand the language of the Spirit. So they start putting things in chronological order and figuring out what the horns are. (laughs) Daniel 7. Anybody read Daniel 7? I saw four horns... And then Daniel says to the angel, what are the four horns? He goes, four kings. What does that have to do with horns? You're like, oh, that makes total sense to me. Yeah, because Daniel interpreted for you. You would have all kinds of different ideas. Okay, I don't know if I'm being helpful. I'm simply saying, when you like, it's good that we're looking into the heavens. Let me say the good part. We're looking in the heavens and we're looking for signs. And we should be. Prophetic people need to start looking in the heavens because the the astrologers, that's false ministry. It means they copied some true stuff. (laughs) And the problem is is that we are not grasping the true stuff, so all we have is the astrologers. And they're doing all this crazy stuff and the plants are lining up and your birthday was on. It's like... 
whatever, whatever, you know. Every day is a good day when you know Jesus. And so on one side, I'm excited that people are finally looking at the heavens because I'm like, hey, the Magi learn maybe from Daniel's, he, it would have been obviously their grandparents, great-grandparents, but the point is they learned that God actually speaks in the heavens, like he actually writes in the heavens. And they end up finding Christ, because not because they read a book, but because they looked into the heavens and God was writing the gospels in the heavens. Are you following me? But the challenge is, is when we try to read things into the heavens. <laughs> I'm going to start like, okay, so that was a lunar e- eclipse, and now let's go back like 10 years, or let's go back 20. Oh, that thing happened, and the, there was an eclipse. But sort of backwards. I think it's supposed to lead you, like it's a sign that leads you, not a sign that... <laughs> anyway, whatever. <laughs> the other challenge I have, and I, I, I've done this, I've shared this so many times here, you tend to see what you're prepared to see. So it's funny that the signs that are in the heavens always get interpreted as a disaster. I'm looking at the signs in heaven. Oh my God, there's going to be another disaster. I don't know. The sign in the heaven, the mag I looked at, we're watching, gave them the Savior. The sign that, that, that Joel was looking for gave them the outpouring of the Spirit and the beginning of everyone getting saved. And I don't know why signs always have to point to some disaster. And I'll tell you why. Because we're looking for disasters. So, you know, you, you tend to see what you're prepared to see. You ever bought a car that you thought was unique? And the day you bought it, everyone else bought that car? Like, I'm going to buy a yellow Volkswagen. No one has a yellow Volkswagen. I'm going to buy a yellow Corvette. Oh, wait a second. There's yellow Corvettes everywhere. It's like you think it's unique because you're not looking for that. If you look for God in your day, you will find him. If you look for the devil, you'll find him too. Somebody came into my front room. We have an African room. I like it. It's, uh, I'd started collecting stuff from Africa, and, and then Kathy used it for decorating, and then we had an African room. And now it's kind of an international room because I have stuff from all over the world, but I've got a bunch of African stuff, you know? And people come in and it's like, ah, oh, that's what witches use. Well, not anymore. Came in my house. That, that, that thing, had, that sculpture you have, that's what the witch doctors use. Not in my house. Here it's pretty wood. It's pretty wood at my house. Well, there's demons in here. Well, there is if you're looking for them, but I live here. I didn't tell you, it's pretty peaceful here. I, I don't let the demons come in. Now, maybe when you came in, <laughs> one person said, well, why are the demons here when I come in? I was, I don't know. They weren't here before you came in. <laughs> you, you, you tend to get what you're looking for. You know, you see a crisis and it validates that God's mad. And I don't, you know, I've said this so many times. I don't know why God's so mad at America. I mean, why is he mad at India? They don't even serve Jesus at all. I don't think he should be. Don't, don't misunderstand me. So people will be. You said God should be mad at India. Oh, I was trying to be, you know, comparatively speaking, we're better than them. 
that's really bad. I don't mean that at all. Gosh, that was horrible. I'm fixing it. I'm fixing it. Fixing it. I'm simply saying, why is America, like we're like, somehow, like we're, we're like the, you know, the opposite of the Garden of Eden. Like we're spreading evil all over the earth. It's like, do you know India makes more movies than Hollywood by double? You know, India is the largest movie producer in the world. Yeah, you don't, you don't know because you don't speak their language while you're not watching new movies. Uh, how about How about China. I mean, people are like arguing, is America a Christian nation or not? And there's people on both sides. And I, that's my point. Chinese, they're not trying to be. Like, we're not. Like, we're atheists. I, I, God's moving powerfully in China. I'm not cursing anybody. I'm just saying, why do you choose America? Like, leave us alone. The Chinese have been following atheism for longer than America was even thought of. Our, our, God, our grandfathers were in tents and the Chinese were following other gods. And by the way, they should be blessed. God, how many know God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous? And, and such are some of, such as America. I, I'm not justifying the America's, America's amazing. I'm saying, why don't you just pick America all the time? How about the Canadians? <laughs> They're the one people no one should pick on. They're so nice. <laughs> okay, not the Canadians. And by the way, I'm not saying God should judge anyone else. I'm making a point that when you say America deserves judgment, I'm like, look around. Look around. The whole world deserves to be judged. People on the East Coast always want to judge the West Coast. I'm like, how would you like us to return to favor? I mean, hurricane season's coming. And I'm going to make some points I've made many times, so I'm going to do this little bullet point-ish. But in, you know, in Luke 22, Jesus made a new covenant. A new covenant. We live in a new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 8, you can look these up because I'm just going to go through them quickly. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 through, I don't know, through 13, says that when there's a new covenant, I'll just read this part to you, verse 13, says there's a new covenant, and he said, we made the first covenant obsolete. And whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and is already disappearing. So I went to a round table some years ago with prophets and they told me we're living in the old covenant and the new covenant. I'm like, that's a schizophrenic ministry. <laughs> no, Jesus made a new covenant and he fulfilled the old covenant. He didn't abolish it. He fulfilled it. And he fulfilled the law and the prophets. And then he created a new order of prophets. How many of you know there was a Levitical order of priests, and then there was the Melchizedek order of priests. There was the old order of prophets, and then there's the new covenant order of prophets. The old order of prophets, they prophesied against countries, cities, and people. Why? Because the, the message of the old covenant was, you deserve to be punished. You sinned, and you need a savior. And the whole message, the, the message of the Old Testament is, you need a savior. In fact, Galatians says, Paul writes to Galatians says, it was a tutor to teach us that we needed a savior. So what was the main message of the Old Testament? You deserve to be judged. So the prophets were the voice of that covenant. <laughs> 
And Deuteronomy 28 says, for four, for one, from 1 to 14 says, God said, if you follow me, here's all the amazing things I'll do for you. From 1 to 14. From 15 to 68, God said, and if you serve other gods, here's all the things that will happen to you. I think it's around verse 28 of chapter 28 that says, and there will be no rain in your land. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and you shall be like your Father in heaven, who makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. How many know on this side of the cross, it didn't rain when you served other gods? But on this side of the cross, it's the great and glorious. When the moon turned to blood... God makes it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes it rain on people who don't deserve it. He's no longer genocizing people. He's actually saying, love your enemies. In the Old Testament, he told Joshua, kill everybody. In the New Testament, he said, love everybody. How do you know, this is a new covenant. It should affect the way you prophesy. There we go. Good word. Thank you. When... When Jesus went into the um, synagogue, he sat down in a seat that history says was never sat in. They saved it for the Messiah. And Jesus came and sat in a seat, and the, and the Pharisees believed that the Messiah would come, sit in a seat, would call for the scroll of Isaiah, and, and read the Messiah's mandate, which is Isaiah 61. Jesus comes into the sanctuary, into the synagogue. He goes over to the seat that's never been sat in. Are you following me? He sits down in the seat that's never been sat on. It says every eye was on him. Why? Well, the security is on him because they're trying to figure out, do we arrest this guy? What do we do with this guy? Because he's, he's got a reputation since he was 12 years old. He's been sharing with the Pharisees and the scribes. You know the story. So he has a reputation, but all of a sudden he sits in the seat reserved for the Messiah. And they're like, what the heck is he doing? She says, is he supposed to be in his seat or not? Then he calls for the scroll of Isaiah. You know the story. But you may not know the backstory. And he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me. To preach the good news to the afflicted, to bind up the brokenhearted, to speak release to captives, freedom to prisoners, the favorable year of the Lord. The rest of that verse is the day of vengeance of our God. But he puts a period where Isaiah put a comma. And he ends it at the favorable year of the Lord, period. You know why? Because Jesus didn't come to judge the world. So he couldn't have finished the verse which says, the day of vengeance of our God. Did you know it says, the day of vengeance of our God? You know why? Because there's a judgment day coming. It's called great and terrible. You don't live in great and terrible. You live great and glorious. There's another day coming that people are trying to pretend isn't coming. It's called great and terrible. It's a day of judgment. But you won't be the judge. God will be. <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to give you a few verses for it. Acts 19, I'm sorry, Acts 17.30. Just write this down. It says, Acts, uh, sorry, Acts 17.31. There is a day fixed in which God will judge the world in righteousness. 2 Peter 3.7. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Did you get that? The destruction of ungodly men. It's in the Bible. (laughs) Jude 6. 
And the angels that did not keep their proper dominion, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Seven times a day is mentioned of judgment in which God will judge the souls of men and women. (laughs) Okay. But you don't live in that day. You live in great and glorious. Well, some people reading the end of the book, but they're living in the middle. I'm saying we're living in the middle. The last chapter, I'm not talking about Revelation. I'm talking about the last chapter is God will judge the world in righteousness. He will. You're like, God God is a God of love, and, and he wouldn't do that. Well, he said he would. Well, how would a God who loves people send them to hell? Well, first of all, he doesn't send anyone to hell. He said, over my dead body will you go to hell. But some people step over his dead body. Well, how about the people in Africa that never heard about Christ? I don't know, but you know, I know that he loves people more than you do. And he's ten times more just than you ever thought about being. So he has that worked out. But he doesn't, but he doesn't annul his word to work it out. <laughs> See, if I told you 150 years ago, I could take the whole Bible and put it on something as small as your fingernail, and I can read the entire thing to you. You'd say, that's ridiculous. No one could write that small. Right? You know why? Because you're missing 150 years of technology. Therefore, you think you have to understand it for it to be true. And I'm telling you, God's always lived. And when God says, I can totally love people, and some people are going to hell, and you go, that can't be, I can't work that out. I'm like, yeah, you don't have that big of a mind, but God does. And God knows how to be totally loving, totally merciful, totally just, and he knows how to reconcile those things. And because you don't, that doesn't mean you should make up stories. <laughs> William Booth said this. You know who he was? The founder of Salvation Army. Here's what he wrote. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, heaven without hell. Want me to read again? The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be a religion with, with, will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without a hell. That was written a hundred years ago. He couldn't be more accurate. See, we try to get rid of what we don't understand. And I'm saying, what are you saying? Are you saying there's going to be judgments? We're supposed to judge or not? (laughs) Tell me what to do. I'm saying your prophecy should be edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's what you should be doing. And when you're discipling someone, you should confront them because you have a relationship with them. You confront the people who have a relationship with. That's what you do. But your prophecy should be edification, exhortation, and comfort. And when you scare the bejeebers out of people, 1 John 4 says, false prophets will come, and there is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear, and it's in the context of false prophets. So using fear to manipulate people, how many of you know you can't punish people in the purity? 
It happens from the inside out. It's what the Pharisees tried. It was why Jesus was only mad at them. He said to them, you're whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. You look good on the outside. You are trying to proselytize people by getting them do instead of to be and then do. Yes, when you be, then you can judge the do, right? So I'm saying, yes, we should prophesy stuff that reconciles the world to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. What's the next verse? And God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. How did he do that? Not counting their trespasses against them. Next verse says, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, as if God was begging through us to be reconciled to God. What is our job? To not count people's transgressions against them. That's our job. That's your job. Well, how about all the people who did terrible? There's a judgment day coming. You don't have to worry about that because you're not the judge. So you need to be congruent with this season. How many of you know, sons of Issachar understood the times and they knew what Israel should do in the times. The times right now are called great and glorious. And your job is to reconcile people by not counting their trespasses against them. Are you with me? I'm going to finish the other part in just a second. If you took an Old Testament prophet and you moved him into the New Testament, what would change? Well, we know that. Malachi said in the last days, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. And what's he going to do? He's going to turn the hearts back. And what did Elijah do in the Old Testament? He killed false prophets, caused a famine, called down fire. When he gets on this side of the cross, what does he do? He reconciles sons to fathers. What happened? Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. So when Elijah comes on this side, he's got a new job description. Your job description is use your prophetic gift to reconcile families. So I'm saying two things. You want to hear what the two things are? One is you don't have a right to judge. Don't use your prophecies to judge people and scare the bejeebers out of them. Don't do that. It's not your job. Judge prophecy, but don't judge people. Okay, so when someone prophesies, they should prophesy in a global community where other prophets can step up and go, I don't think that's the Lord. And it's not because I don't like you. I don't like your prophecy. I don't think that's the Lord. And I'm saying that to you. The blood moon, I'm sorry, I don't think that's the Lord. Of course, we'll know on September 28th. And I'll either be up here apologizing or say, Chris is right again. <laughs> and by the way, Chris isn't always right. And if you've been in this congregation for 17 years, you know I've apologized twice publicly. So I'm not trying to hold myself up this crazy standard. I'm saying everyone should be held by the same standard. You, if I prophesy to you privately, I don't have to publicly apologize. But if I prophesy publicly, then I should publicly be accountable to the global prophetic community and say, I messed that up, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't deserve to be you know, judged, criticized, sent to hell, you know, lambasted. I just, my prophecy, I got the prophecy wrong. And we should be in a global community where we can say, you got that wrong. Uh, don't just take that off your site. Write a little, I'm sorry. And teach the young people how to do this. Okay? You're, you're a seasoned prophet. Teach the young people what to do when you write a book about something and you get it wrong. Okay? Don't just recall the book. Write another book and say, got that wrong. So sorry. And, and don't put it out seven more years. <laughs> Okay, that's one thing I'm saying. You, everybody get that? Yeah. And I'm saying, the second thing I'm saying is, is that there is a judgment day. 
And we don't talk about that at Bethel very much, but the Bible does. Actually, Jesus actually talked more about hell than he did heaven, if you want to know the truth. I'm not saying we should do that. I'm simply saying that Jesus talked about, some people are like, well, that's, this hell's not, it's like weeping and gnashing of teeth is pretty clear. Well, the, the Greek word, no, no, how about weeping in Greek? Gnashing of teeth is not sounding fun to me. I wrote this, and I don't know if you'll, what you think, but when we see Jesus, we'll become like him. 1 John 3, 2, and 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But if we don't see him, then he becomes like us, and we end up with a God in our own image. Instead of a God we believe in, we have a make-believe God, a God who I completely understand because I made him up. Then instead of the Bible revealing God to me, I read my Bible, I read my God into the scriptures. There's no more mystery because my there's no there's no more mystery to my God because if I can't imagine why then I just imagine me. Soon there is no hell, no sin, no judgment day, no moral code, no punishment because I can't imagine why a God of love would behave this way. And certainly, if I can't understand it, then it can't be true. Welcome to the new theology. Look in the mirror and then make up and make God up as you see you. God does sin. God doesn't send anyone to hell. In fact, Jesus stretched out his arms and basically said, over my dead body will you go to hell. But some people choose to step over the body, his body, and will themselves to hell when he clearly invited them to heaven. Who will go to hell? I have no idea. But God is just, incredibly wise, and the only one who knows people's hearts. Humans judging other humans is ridiculous and self-righteous and an act of arrogance. The scriptures seem to point to some behaviors that are willful acts of stepping over the body of Christ. I remain hopeful and call for mercy for even those, trusting that he knows the hearts and I only see their behavior. God's judgments are based on our will. Our judgment day will be determined, will return, huh, our judgment day will determine our eternity based on our actions, attitudes, and beliefs. He is judging what we willed because he's not willing that anyone should perish. So the idea that you can behave like hell and go to heaven is not in the Bible. But I received Jesus. The idea that you can behave like hell and go to heaven is not in the Bible. I'm sorry. Now, if you behave like hell, I should love you. If you behave like hell, I should still love you. I can judge your behavior, I do it every day, you do it with your children. As a matter of fact, when you judge someone's behavior, the people who don't like the fact that you're judging say, you can't do that. I say, you just made a judgment. (laughs) Because if you don't think you can judge anyone, you just judge that what I did was wrong. So the fact that you thought what you thought was wrong is wrong, but what I thought is wrong isn't wrong because you judged that what I did was wrong. You made a judgment. And everybody makes judgments every day. So, you, you, listen, you can judge action, but you can't judge heart because you don't know heart. See, almost all of us, if we lived in the Old Covenant, we definitely, the one person we would have not let live in the, in the Old Testament culture is Rahab, the harlot. Isn't it funny that God wants to cleanse the land so that his people won't get polluted, and the one person who you think would pollute people, God goes, but let her live. It tells me that I don't get it. 
So when I read stuff like that, I'm like, I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand that. I, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm saying from an Old Testament, God's, you understand, he's driving the people out. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, right? So he's like, okay, I'm going to isolate these people, and I'm only going to have my people around them so no one else can influence them. Then he's like, oh, take the prostitute and bring her into your camp. Bring the pro- I mean, I thought that's why we're driving them out. And, God, and then later on, she becomes the great, great grandmother of Christ. He's mentioned in her lineage. I'm trying to say, you don't know, and neither do I, so stop acting like you do. The well, Holy Spirit told me. No, I don't think he did. I don't think he did. But what if he did? Well, what if he didn't? And the challenge is, is that we have people running around prophesying against cities and nations. And I think they're just, I think one reason I'm sharing this is because I think some people are just like, we have to get this taken care of you. These people are doing bad stuff and they, they have to pay. I'm like, there's a judgment day, dude. Mellow. <laughs> it's God's got it all worked out. It might be a year from now and it might be 10,000 years from now. We don't know, but he's got it all figured out. Well, he can't do that. You, you don't even know what you're talking about. You little pea brain running around thinking you understand God. I mean, kids, that's how arrogant is that? Well, no, he said that, but he couldn't have meant it because that's not what I would do. You're not God. You can't even get along with your wife. Work that out before you start <laughs> judging everybody else and figuring out what God can and can't do. He said he did it. Just believe it. I mean, if you're not going to be a believer, then don't be a believer. If you want to be a factor, be a factor. But if you want to be a believer, be a believer. If you want to be a philosopher, then be a philosopher. But don't pretend you'd sin the Bible. <laughs> I know, I have so many mad people on Facebook this week because I put that thing I just read on. God wouldn't send people to hell. It's like he sent people to heaven. The sun turned dark and the moon turned to blood. Stop it. Well, how about the people who never heard? I don't know. But if you have a concern, he certainly does too. Well, I don't believe in purgatory. I don't know how he's going to do it. It's okay that I don't have it all figured out. Can you imagine God trying to tell a first century person how he's going to do it? They'd be like, the what? Can you imagine? You know, Jacob, do you, you know, you know, Jacob. Remember he laid his head at Bethel? No, I don't think he was here. Some of you are like, is he being funny? Remember how he laid his head on a rock and he fell asleep? And what did he see? Come on, help me. Angels on what? Do you think angels use a ladder? Please. Seriously, do you think angels use ladders? I mean, I'm coming, Lord. I don't even know where heaven is, but wherever it is, I don't think you take a ladder there. You know, it probably in, if you were 21st century Jacob, you might see an escalator. Or you might see... I'm saying God speaks to you in your little pea brain way that you can get it. And if you want to figure out that angels come from another dimension, on the ladder is the only way God can explain to you that, you know, it's like, it's above you. Look, it's on a ladder. Oh, oh, the angels got a raise. Oh, then they did it. Then they did. 
What do you think he used the ladder? He's talking to little people. <laughs> Lord, how are you going to send the bad people to hell? And you love everybody. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Seriously, most things don't make sense. You just think you're so smart. You have it all worked out. You don't even know how the earth spins around and you stay on instead of fly off. Or you go, well, it's gravity. You don't even know what gravity is. And by the way, notice does any scientist, they have theories about how you stick to the earth when you're upside freaking down. You don't even know. You want to sound so smart. Well, you know, the you don't, you don't just say, I don't know. Solomon said it this way, even a fool looks intelligent when he shuts up. If you don't know, then don't make things up. That's a good plan. It's okay to say, I don't know. Well, I think I know. Well, I think what you think you know, you don't. Sometimes I think if you have the answer, you haven't understood the question. Well, how did God make all this in six days? I have no idea. Well, maybe a day was a thousand years. Maybe, and maybe not. And maybe the God that can make everything can do it that quick. He's like microwave. I, don't, I have no idea. I mean, I seriously have no I know when I preach, I sound intelligent i read out of here and i'll like say things that sound intelligent you know what one third of the time i don't even know what i'm talking about i'm like that's what it said so i'm just like maybe that's how it happened and we just have this like we have to explain everything and it's fine if the holy spirit reveals to you it's fine but you know what happens when you explain things that the holy spirit hasn't told you about you don't keep seeking because you think you have the answer so you stop you stop looking because you put a stupid answer in there and called it an answer. And now you're not seeking the mysteries of the kingdom. And I believe the Lord wants to reveal all this stuff. I do. I, I actually think maybe in our lifetime or in our children's lifetime, our children's, I mean, I don't know how long this is all going to go on, but I think that this is part of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord that will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. What's that? Broad and deep. And I think if we'll stop making up answers and we go, Lord, how could there be a hell when you love people so much? I mean, you love people more than anyone. Like you, you said that, that I couldn't even comprehend your love, but I can experience it. Yeah. And I know how much I love my children. And if you, you said that my love looks like hate to you. That's how much you love. So if you care about this so much that you killed your son on a cross for sinners... You must have an answer. But it's probably not the makeup one. And the challenge is, brothers and sisters, if you get rid of hell pretty soon, you don't need salvation. Pretty soon, Jesus didn't die for anything. Because everyone's going to heaven anyway. Pretty soon, you don't need an evangelist. And I don't know what you have one for, and I don't know why you're sharing the good news, and I don't understand all that, because everyone's going to die and go to heaven anyway. Um, this is where new theology is going, and it makes unbelievers happy, 
but it's not the truth. So your job is to teach them the good news. Right? Tell them about God's plan for them. Prophesy heaven to earth. And make sure you tell them that there is a judgment day. Because someday they're going to wake up in front of a throne. So are you. So I. So all of us. And that's called the great and terrible. Great for everyone who received and terrible for everyone who didn't. How's God going to judge people who didn't hear the word? I don't have any idea. But you and I both know a God that's wise enough to figure it out. Would you stand? Just grab a hand with the person next to you. Just look over at them and say, we're all in this together. <laughs> Lord, I just bless your people. I just bless your people, Lord. You have the smartest people in the world. You just have the wisest, smartest, most creative people in the world. Those people are the people who love you. You fill them with your spirit. You love the hell out of them. You love heaven into them. Lord, you comfort us when we don't get it. And Lord, I know you're just like, I got this. Just trust me. And you said that we are to trust in you with all of our heart, not our minds. And acknowledge you in all of our ways. And you're the one who will direct our paths. So Lord, we trust you as being like way, 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 way smarter than us. A lot more ways in there. And we trust you to do the right thing at the right time for all the people we care about because you care about them too. Amen. Thank you so much.